Welcome to Profiles from WFIU. I'm Aaron Kane. On Profiles, we talk to notable artists, scholars, and public figures to get to know the stories behind their work. Our guest today is Ash Mayfair. She was born in Vietnam and educated in the United Kingdom and the United States, receiving her MFA in filmmaking at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Her debut feature, The Third Wife, follows the path taken by a 14-year-old girl in 19th century Vietnam as she enters an arranged marriage with a much older man. The story of the film was based on Mayfair's own family history. The Third Wife premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2018, and it has since received numerous international awards. But the film's release in Vietnam sparked a debate in the country, with much of the focus on intimate scenes involving the lead actress, who was 13 at the time of filming. The controversy led Mayfair and her producers to withdraw the film from cinemas after four days. Ash Mayfair was in Bloomington as part of the IU Cinema's special series celebrating female filmmakers, entitled Running the Screen, directed by women. While she was here, she spoke with Janae Cummings in the WFIU studios. Ash, welcome to Profiles. Thank you so much. Most audiences first began hearing about you and your debut feature, The Third Wife, hit the film festival circuit in 2018. And this is a film that rocked your home country of Vietnam, which we'll talk about. To say the very least, yes. And it did this almost (laughs) as strongly as it rocked audiences in Toronto and Chicago and now Bloomington. I think responses like this are only possible when you have incredible storytelling. Thank you. What is your history as a storyteller? Have you always been one? I believe so, yes. In fact, I think the earliest thing I can remember is making up stories and then forcing my parents to write them down for me because I couldn't read or write yet. I was an incredibly curious child, giving names to all the people I know, no matter whether they liked it or not, and then creating background stories for them, also no matter whether they like it or not. Yeah, as far as I can remember, I was already interested in characters and world and drama. Did you have exposure to theater or film while you were growing up? I did. Not so much film because growing up in Vietnam, you know, art house cinema was pretty much non-existent. But theater was something that was kind of very much part of my world because... The oral tradition, I think, of Vietnamese literature and stories was very much passed down through the generations. And I lived with my grandmother and my great-grandmother and my mother nearly in the same household. Their houses were next to each other in a tiny little compound. So the idea of performance was always there. And actually, I love the fact that you mentioned theatre because theatre really is my first love. I wanted to be an actress when I was very little. And my very first role in kindergarten was playing a bee. But I think also in the same performance, I fell off the stage. (laughs) And so (laughs) declared that I would not act ever again. And I think that directed me towards more behind-the-curtain kind of roles afterwards. So would you say that this storytelling was nurtured with your family? It was something they encouraged? I think so. I think it was more tolerated. My parents definitely loved reading, 
So that was very much encouraged for me to read and study about stories. But for me to make up my own stories, I don't think anyone in my family expected that I would become a filmmaker or like an artist per se. In fact, I think it was a little bit discouraged even when I was applying to university. My first choice was to go to film school for undergraduate. And my entire family was like, you will never make a living. <laughs> <laughs> and so I made a bargain with my mother and she said, if you can get into one of the top schools in the world academically, then afterwards you can do whatever you want. And being an Asian child, the first of my generation in the family, I was like, okay, name the most difficult university you can think of and I will try my best. And so she did and I got in. This was Oxford? This was Oxford, yes. I was praying to all the gods and Buddhas I know because the only reason I applied was because Oxford has an excellent student drama program that's nothing to do with the academic mainstream courses. And so that's why I spent my three years of undergraduate in directing theatres. How did you make that jump from theatre to film? You mentioned wanting to go to film school for undergraduate, but not a lot of exposure to film in Vietnam, or at least our no, host cinema in Vietnam. All, yeah. So where did that come from? Where was the switch? So as I mentioned, I grew up reading a lot of literature. I actually studied literature for undergraduate and directing theater on the side. So I think the love of the storytelling arts has always been a very natural progression for me. And the necessity of delving into film as a language, I think, came because I was so heartbroken every time a theatrical production would end. And I wanted it to continue. I wanted to be able to create this world whereby I can share ad infinitum with audiences around the world. And so it was also undergraduate that I started exploring cinema discovering the old masters and being able to go to at-house cinemas and checking out DVDs from libraries, for example, was like a huge privilege that I don't think I would have had if I stayed in Vietnam. Were there any filmmakers or maybe films that really stand out to you from back then where you think, this is where I really got the spark, this is where I was inspired to do more? I think over the years, there's been a number of filmmakers that's really kind of struck me at several different points in my life. So I can't pinpoint the very moment where I said, this is it, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Because I'm here for the Women in Film month, I want to mention the female directors recently and also kind of in the past who have really kind of driven me to look further into my role as a director and as a woman making movies. And the first of them is Agnes Vardar because kind of her interest in joy and in laughter and in just playfulness was very specific to her, to French culture, but also something that I had never really seen before in cinema. I sort of started watching the old French master and a lot of them were very serious. Mm -hmm. And also the Eastern European film and masters were you know, very dark, very kind of sombre. And then Vada, I discovered, I think, in my second year of undergrad where 
it was completely joyful and there was no rules and that was something that really stayed with me. And then kind of more my contemporaries, for example, I would never forget watching the piano by Shane Campion for the very first time because it was the first time also that the language of cinema was so perfectly married with the language of music in my experience. And so I watched the film in theaters. Then I went outside, I took a deep breath, and then I went straight in to watch it again. So I guess those two filmmakers, the ones that I come back now and again for inspirations and comfort too. I want to mention my contemporaries as well because I'm sure you've heard of her already. I think you've screened her film here, actually, at Bloomington. But Wanuri Kayu, mm-hmm. amazing filmmaker and a friend of mine, and I think we bonded also over the fact that making movies in our respective countries was so difficult. And added to the fact that she's a minority female filmmaker, there's also like the additional political struggle that believe it or not, was actually quite similar in both our respective countries. So I really admire her a great deal for doing that and for making a film that was very important and very proud. I'm curious, actually, when you speak about how difficult it can be to get a film made in your country, being a woman, I wonder, how much adversity did you face and how did you respond to that? Vietnam historically is a country that's extremely difficult and rather oppressive for artists in general. So even without the gender-specific struggles, it's already difficult, I think, for any kind of independent filmmakers or first-time directors, specifically at-house filmmakers, to get anything done. Financial struggles is one of the big reasons because there's just no support whatsoever from the government, unlike... European countries or even other developing Asian countries. On top of that, there's a huge problem of censorship. Mm-hmm. For decades now, filmmakers have struggled with that. Every step of the way from the writing process to the production and then post-production, there are different rounds of censorship that you have to submit to the Ministry of Culture. So the script gets censored for one round. And then when you're shooting policemen would come on my set and they can come at any random time of day to monitor what you're doing. And this is perfectly within the legal structure that Vietnamese government allows. Then when you're done with the film, then the film will get censored once again before it can be sent out to theatres. So there's just so many things that already built, inbuilt structures that are against the freedom of creativity. Writer-director Ash Mayfair, creator of the critically acclaimed film The Third Wife. She's speaking with Janae Cummings. You're listening to Profiles from WFIU.
I think a lot of times when we think about filmmakers and their art, we wonder what experiences in their lives have shaped their art, have shaped how they've come through the world. And for you particularly, when it comes to The Third Wife, which follows a 19th century 14-year-old girl as she enters an arranged polygamous marriage to a wealthy landowner, for you, art is imitating life there. Can you talk to us about your personal connection to the story and kind of how that fed in to the film? The quick spiel is the situation of the main protagonist in the film was the situation of my great-grandmother. She was married when she was a teenager. And her daughter, my grandmother, who's still alive and who I lived with, when I was making the film, had an arranged marriage also. Me personally, I experienced certain discriminations when I expressed my desire to date women, for example, as a teenager and as a young adult growing up in the country. Several kind of sections of or kind of intersections of life and art happen through my whole life and I think it's it's actually one of the greatest gifts. Despite this history of darkness that I was in the right family and have the right support and being given the right opportunity, I think, to tell this very particular story. However, I don't think it's very unique to just my family. Right. And that is something that has become so evident for me since the conception of this film, but especially because after we finished and taken the film to upwards of 70 festivals internationally now, Everywhere I go, I will have audience members or someone from the press or a student come up to me and tell me, Ash, watching this was like watching my mother's life. That was something that moved me incredibly deeply. Mm. This is a story that stretches across cultures, whether we're in India or African countries or otherwise. This is often what we see, the kind of child bride going into a marriage that already has a polygamous marriage, whether she may be the second, third, or fourth wife, and they're all hoping to bear the son that gives them that status. It is something that we still see, unfortunately. When the film came out, it came out in Vietnam, and 40,000 people saw it in four days. So it's clear that the story of domestic oppression, which is woven into this national history and that of so many nations, struck a nerve and then it was banned. Yes. Ostensibly because the age of the lead actress, who is 12 or 13, and her being featured in sexually suggestive scenes. That was the supposed supposed reasoning. I read that you pushed back on that critique and you have also hinted that there is something deeper at play. Can you talk about that? I think it's actually very simple and very evident the get-go because this is a film that speaks extremely loudly of female sexuality. Mm-hmm. To bring this film into a country with millennia of history of female suppression, we knew would receive some kind of reaction from certain conservative groups but also from governmental bodies because aside from the fact that this is a very loud film about women's rights. I'm a very loud director mm-hmm. about women's rights. It's not just the history of oppression that artists have had to suffer in Vietnam. It's really also a history of sexism that for so many years now, women and female artists in the countries 
have lived the situation that my film presented. It's a very dark part of Vietnamese history, actually, that really no one is teaching in school or is mm-hmm. talking about to young people. I think it's funny you mentioned ostensibly is her age. That is some of the public's reaction, of course. The bullying campaign online that was directed towards the actress and her family was definitely because of her age. But I think deeper than that, we go to the really root of it is the attitude towards women and what would happen if women start speaking up. Mm-hmm. So beyond that, I was very curious because for the entire week, where pressure were being put on the Ministry of Culture to force us to pull the film from theatres. I was very intrigued in kind of analysing what would be the reason and what was causing certain people in government to be so fearful. Because clearly the film has touched something in social consciousness that was sparking a lot of debates. Right. I don't think the government of Vietnam really liked debates, especially about women's rights and especially about freedom of creativity. It is astonishing to me that there can be this accusation lobbied in a country where child marriage is very much, it's still in the history. There are still plenty of people alive, like your grandmother, who have been through this situation. The outrage should be over this history and over this present, not over the actresses. And I really think that there's a huge distance between artistic representation of something and the actual history that the art is criticizing. Mm -hmm. So I was very interested in the question of art and life. And as you mentioned earlier, there are reflections between either and all, it's not sometimes very clear. But in this case, the actress and her family has publicly spoken internationally and nationally about how much they support the film and how much they are proud of it and how much it has taught them and the joy that has brought them. I think the focus for a lot of detractors of the film in Vietnam anyway was on how young she is, but not on how wonderful her performance is or how courageous she is to stand up to all these internet bullies. Mm -hmm. There's something socially wrong there, I think. Absolutely. And she's a fantastic actress, did an incredible job. Had she acted before? No, this was her first time. How did you find her? She seems perfect for the role. She's amazing, yeah. I burst into tears when... I auditioned her because it was such an incredible journey and the entire film rides on her performance. She's in almost every scene. So naturally, it was our focus. And we spent so long looking for this girl. I went to every single school I think existed in the country from north to south. We auditioned, I think, more than 900 girls in total. And she was the perfect one. She was. And not only that, it was her courage and tenacity and how much she actually fought for the role that really told me about the maturity and sensitivity and the heart of steel of this young lady. Because she fought her own family to be able to play in this. Mm-hmm. Her mother doubted her at first. And from what they've told me, she decided, not her family. What was really fascinating about her performance, and I think the film overall, when I started watching, I expected a lot of dialogue. So much is happening and she's experiencing so much. So much of what we get are peaks and glances. 
we discover things through her eyes, and it's all very quiet observation. Did you develop the script that way? I remember the very first draft was like 120 pages or something, plenty of dialogues. And then when we went into production, it was already maybe only 70. Throughout the writing process, being on location and then meeting the cast, and I had the immense privilege of having the cast on location several weeks in advance of shooting. So that gave me so much insight into their lives and also actually the situation gave the cast a lot of opportunity to improvise. Expositions became unnecessary when the human was there and mm-hmm. the behavior was very evident. Actually, so much of the songs and games and a lot of that was improvisation that made it into the film itself. I didn't write that. You're listening to Profiles from WFIU. Our guest today is filmmaker Ash Mayfair. She's speaking with Janae Cummings. It's common, I think, in Asian cinema to depict female oppression and then that resilience. It's been done quite a bit, stories of mistresses and concubines and executions and suicides and all these unhappy endings, these kind of miserable wives stories, and they're all told through that male lens, generally speaking, at least. How do you think your approach differs from these counterparts? Personally, I'm not sure because I've never had (laughs) the advantage from the other gender's point of view. The only thing I could do telling this story is to be as honest to myself and my emotion as possible. That was the first priority. This is how I knew these women. Every single woman that you meet on the screen is based on somebody I know. Even down to the story of the servant. My nanny was in love with an army doctor for decades, but she gave that up in order to raise Mm -hmm. me and my little sister. So all of that found the note of authenticity through collaging of all these experiences and lives. I hope that it's my love for women and womanhood that sets the third wife apart from a very long histories of stories about miserable wives and concubines, as you said. I mean, actually, it's not that long of a history. It's basically dominated right. by maybe two or three very famous films in the West. Right? Very true, very true. But it's also that, I think, looking at the world through her point of view, through the main character's eyes, that provides us a fresh perspective and unique because I want to really take the audience through an experience that's sensory that is really related to the journey of this character, that really gives us everything that she feels and her coming of age in such a complex and nuanced, subtle, but also difficult manner, rather than just telling the story alone. This film is sensual and it's powerful and it's delicate. It's almost devastating in its beauty and its composition because it's juxtaposed with these horrible things. 
How intentional was that? When you set this out, you're writing the script, did you intend for it to be these beautiful settings? I think the duality of the beauty of the visual and the devastation of the emotional impact was definitely intentional. I knew that the story is actually quite horrific and violent in its essence, right? right? And therefore, the presentation of it needs to be as delicate as possible. That was the idea going in, but it was not specific to that. We set the composition, for example. A lot of the inspirations came via research on location. I was just kind of so enamored by so many of these places. And I lived in tiny villages to find like the pacing of life in the 19th century. For several months when I was writing the script, that was something that struck me, the natural beauty and also the grand distance between how small human life is compared to this kind of cosmic scale of the rest of the world. And then also it was my knowledge of history and I think my love for all things visual for that sensory experience that this younger is going through. So a combination of everything Mm -hmm. brought us to the visual decisions that were made in the film finally. There seemed to be a lot of symbolism running through the film, whether it was water or it was the silkworms turning into butterflies. So none of that is scripted, by the way. Is this part of the research, the things that you were just seeing and knew you wanted to incorporate? Absolutely. I think almost all of that was improvised or either happened because we fell in love with something on location. So the silkworm, for example, we were searching for villages that were still creating organic silk the same way that silk was made in the 19th century in Vietnam in order to build the costumes. And when I witnessed the process, I fell in love with these women in the tiny village that has been these artisans who have not changed their methods for centuries. This was something that was passed down to them from their mothers. And it just became such a perfect visual symbolism for the lives of women back then that I decided to bring it into the elements of the film. And the river, for example, symbolizing, again, the flow of life, leading her into the wedding and taking the coffin away. Not to give away too many spoilers. That, again, because I was living in the north of Vietnam where my great-grandparents came from and, and researching and looking for a place and just seeing how villages were traveling from place to place and how the country is actually filled with rivers. Yeah, so sometimes I feel like there was a kernel of an idea and then that grew into something else completely and sometimes even beyond my expectation because the film demanded that it be so. Toni Morrison has said that all good art is political. And a quote is, you ought to be able to make it unquestionably political and irrevocably beautiful at the same time. And in this day and age, it is hard to watch The Third Wife with anything other than a political lens. And we've talked a little bit about that. What were some of your goals when you were telling this story? Well, if I remember correctly, Toni Morrison also said that if we don't engage, right, Mm -hmm. I might be butchering her quote here, then we are accepting the status quo. Right. Growing up, I can't pinpoint the exact 
transition or exact time when I can walk down the street and declare proudly I'm a feminist. But I knew that it was a process of growth for myself and also for my work. I became more interested in who I am and what this story signifies. I also became more interested in how this kind of themes related to what women are going through in the world today. When I was editing The Third Wife, the Me Too movement exploded overnight. And I remember reading my friends sharing their accounts of sexual harassment on social media and kind of feeling like both an immense wealth of joy and sadness intermingled because I had, in a vacuum perhaps, in Vietnam, together with my cousin crew, created a film that has also tapped into this shared sense of pain and suffering that women all around the world are experiencing. I'm glad if the film is being watched through an aesthetic lens. I'm glad if the film is being watched through a political lens. I'm glad it's being watched through an emotional lens. I think all of it is completely necessary. And I'm glad if it's touched people in any way at all possible. What impact do you hope that it has? Maybe if you're thinking about, you go on and have a great body of work. And we're we're talking years from now. (laughs) And we look back on The Third Wife. What would you have liked people to have taken away from it? It's so hard. Sometimes I watch films as an adult, right? And the feeling is completely different than when I watched them as a teenager, for example. I suspect it's going to be the same, even Mm -hmm. though I've created this film myself. Right now, I am right in the current of history. And making this film, speaking very strongly about women's stories, at the moment, I think the cups have changed, really, where women and more women filmmakers than ever are stepping forward and saying, this is it, and we're telling our stories now, we're taking charge. So I really hope that The Third Wife play however small a part in that history, opening up doors for young girls and women everywhere to feel empowered to embrace their narrative. Going back a bit to our discussion about May, the lead character in The Third Wife, it feels like it should be a coming-of-age story, but it can't be because she is in this society and in this world, she is of age. There is no misspent youth. There's no discovery She's here, and she's learning how to be a wife and a mother and a leader of a household. Because we don't see a lot of that in film. Usually, we do get that coming-of-age story where someone learns a lesson, and they're able to go on to this next step in their life. And May is left with, I think, these incredible choices where we don't know where they're going. I still think that despite the social expectations, her kind of microcosm of the universe has for her to bear a son, right? There is still discovery. There is still the discovery in her own sexuality, mm-hmm. her own identity in sensuality and desire, and even in her own strength. I think in that respect, it is a coming-of-age story, just in a very different social setting. Not the way that we think of it here in the West. I believe so, and also 
I was very interested in that juxtaposition too between social expectation of women and what women actually want. Mm-hmm. So to boil that down to a nutshell, I actually think this is a universal story for that reason. Whether it's set in the 19th century or not, social expectations of women in so many countries are still at odds with what women actually want for themselves. The fact that this is a very young girl, that she's modeled after the situation of my great-grandmother, and it's a combination of a lot of my own personal experiences growing up, I can't help but have more modern perspective on the retelling of this very classical narrative for that reason. Another thing that I appreciated and I was surprised by was, as part of May's sexual awakening, kind of falling in love, I think, and really not having that realized. Mm-hmm. What, what were the choices you made to put that in? So her feelings for Swan developing for the second wife was actually a very natural mm-hmm. growth. That was in the script very early on. Okay. Right in the beginning. I mentioned very earlier growing up, I had a lot of objections when I expressed desires for women yeah. as a teenager. So that was something that was already kind of in the back of my mind. I didn't purposely create the situation to make a political statement. It just became actually a very organic development because in the situation of the household, Swan, the second wife, was the person who's the most kind and also was the most liberated mm-hmm. about her own sexuality. So there are different degrees of attraction and different aspects also, I think, of womanhood that I wanted to celebrate. So May falling in love with a woman existed right from the start, but her not having that desire ever fully realized, we were always walking that line between this kind of desire and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Even right until the moment when we were shooting that scene, I was talking to the actress, we were discussing how they feel, and it was through months, actually, of developing their relationship and interaction on set that we settled on a tone, I think, that was perfect for the character at the time, for the historical background too at the time. Actually worked out well because I found it more devastating that way. We've talked a little bit about casting, particularly um, May's character. I'm wondering about the rest of the cast. Everyone is carrying (laughs) these incredible emotional burdens. It was so well acted across the board, I thought, with, and as we spoke about before, those kind of like peaks and glances and the unspoken moments that goes across the cast. How do you cast her that? How do you direct that? So the casting for every role came with its own particular challenge. The range of experience in the cast is is wildly different. I may have zero experience. The actress playing the first wife is a veteran actress. The actress playing the second wife was actually a singer. Directing just the three of them varied widely for me, and I think a lot of it was instinctual for me. So with May, for example, I had to schedule the shoot in chronological order of the script to give her actual time to absorb the character and understand that act. There was no other way to do it. She's growing along with her character. Exactly. Directing the first wife was very simple. It was really like faster, slower, and 
start here and end there. She was already so much like the first wife that there was very little work for me mm-hmm. to do on that account, developing her character alone. And then the second wife, for example, she's a musician, so her sense of acting is a lot more rhythmic. It's to do with music and flow, and she sings a lot in the film. So I had to sort of adapt that kind of language as well in order to kind of speak to each person's strength. It was fascinating to me as well because this was my first feature and I had never worked with such a big cast. All my shorts have one or two characters. It's very short, very simple. So I am super thankful, actually, that my team has given me so much time to rehearse and even longer time to find all these characters. Even the actor playing the young boy, he's not that experienced either, but going into this, he's a force of nature. And that really came from having a tremendous amount of time where the entire cast lived together in costumes, practicing the customs that a 19th century family would have. I mean, you should have seen us. Well, I was beyond method. <laughs> yes, I was dressed in servants' clothes. I was walking around, joining them when they had dinner, and we went to sleep when the sun went down. And the entire team was on board with that, so it's really an incredible experience. Ash Mayfair, in conversation with Janae Cummings. You're listening to Profiles, from WFIU. Ash Mayfair is the writer and director of the critically acclaimed film, The Third Wife. What was the process for you getting The Third Wife from what I understand was a thesis at NYU to a feature film that's traveling the world. How long did that take and what was that process like? I think this is my sixth year now working on this film almost full time. And I think actually I'm fortunate because apparently that's fast for a lot of first time feature filmmakers. The story existed since forever, already since my childhood, but it wasn't intended as a screenplay at first. I thought it would be a novel, especially in undergrad. It was at NYU in grad film that I was encouraged to write a screenplay and then developed it. I was also very fortunate that I had a team of thesis advisors who not only helped me artistically with the writing, but also afterwards encouraged me to explore and apply to so many development labs that then lead on one award to another to assembling my crew together, getting my producer interested, getting some of the key actors interested, and then eventually financing. That entire process, I think, took, you know, three, four years. And then one year production, nearly one year post after. So it's a very long time. What were you doing in those six years? Because you're not making money on the film while you're no, working to get I was, this done. So what are you up to? I was living on grants a lot of the time. So thankfully, going out film school, I won a number of awards for the script, which allowed me to continue writing. So started to travel. 
to scout and to approach people and do more research and to approach investors. But aside from that, I was actually a sound mixer for many years. Yeah, I worked in New York for like a number of indie films. And I deliberately picked that because if I work in a sound team, either as a boom operator or a sound mixer, I get to be very quiet, but I also get to be very close to the actors. And when directors gave notes, I was always there. So I learned a lot through that entire period, like from NYU for three years of school and then several years afterwards waiting for the film to get made. That was what I was working at. You mentioned that you thought that this would be a novel. Do you think that's still possible? Actually, there's been interest in adapting The Third Wife, not by me, but from a few people in some Asian countries into either an opera or a theater, a stage piece. I would be happy to assist someone with the development of this, but I don't know if I can continue to do it myself. You mentioned a little while ago, you have a number of shorts that you said usually involved one or two people, and now you have this massive cast, this massive team. Are there any connections between the shorts you've done and the feature, whether it's thematic or approaches or anything like that? So going into film school, I set myself one very clear goal, and that was to explore and push myself as much as possible in terms of genre. And so I made a number of shorts, but each of them I really tried to experiment and go into a different genre altogether. I made comedy. I'm very bad at comedy. I made experimental art house, black and white film, poetry pieces. I made drama. I made horror. All of them were exercises in one form or another. And what that taught me, I think not so much a thematic link to The Third Wife, but Something that came across that's very interesting is that each story is going to demand its own kind of cinema language. When I wrote The Third Wife, started discussing it with my cinematographer, we decided on this particular visual, not because I've done anything that looked like that before, and neither had my DP, but we knew it was the right visual language for the film because the story has made us so, because the script has told us so. Beyond that, I can't really explain much more about the particular kind of nitty-gritty choices of the decision when we're making this film. But I think going forward, I really hope that in the future I'd be able to create films that have their own contained universe and therefore their own cinematic language altogether. If you look at my next few scripts, they're nothing like the third one. So people are very surprised. (laughs) What's coming? Actually, after this, I'm heading to Busan. My next project is called Skin of Youth. It's a story about transgender singer set in Vietnam in the 90s and her lover, who's a dog cage fighter, and how they caught the criminal underworld of Vietnam in the 90s to earn money for her surgery. So very different. Why that story? Again, I think it's a combination of different reasons. But I remember very distinctly, my little sister, she just turned 12 this year. At seven years old, she tells me, Ash, I'm going to grow up and become a boy. And this entire conversation made its way into the third wife. 
Yes. The yes. character of that little girl yeah. is 100% based on my little sister. Anyway, from that moment, I was already kind of curious about her statement, the, a child's vision on gender and on the world, but also I became very interested in gender identity in general. And so I made it point to kind of look into it and do some research and study and remembering friends who are transgender and going through transition in my teenage years. Some of them I'm still friends with today. Sort of kind of pique my curiosity. So during production of The Third Wife, that I started doing some kind of scribbling and just brainstorming for these two characters. And the decision became quite natural, setting for Skin of Youth, setting it in the 1990s in Vietnam, was because I was growing up mm. in the 90s in the country. In 1994, I believe, was when America lifted the economic embargo on Vietnam. And I remember growing up and just kind of overnight, there was suddenly an explosion in pop culture, in fashion, in music, in wealth, and visual arts, everything. As a teenager, I loved this. There was also an immediacy for people to start embracing their own identity. And I saw that happening with my friends. And they were expressing themselves through their clothing and their haircuts. And the teenagers and the minorities, the LGBT community in Vietnam, suddenly found themselves with a platform mm -hmm. for expression and communication. As a teenager, as a 13 years old, I became aware that there was an LGBT community, that I was it's one of them. Just you, right. right. And I was very curious and kind of freeing, but also interesting at the same time. I left Vietnam when I was 14, very close to those years. And looking back, I remember it was very formative. That became the reason why this next story existed for that period. I'm curious about casting for this role. I think that a lot of issue in film is that people aren't represented. And there are plenty of award-winning films where you have a cisgender person playing a transgender character. I assume that will be, of course, under consideration when you're casting this film. I've already casted okay. this film. Yes. She's actually transgender. And because the cause of her transition is evident in the film itself, we're actually going to have to follow her as she goes through the transition in real life, in real time. So the shooting of the film is going to take maybe two years sure. or however long it will manage for her to come up with the funds and for her body to adapt. So in the same way that the actress who played May is developing, it's kind of the same kind of thing, like we're following <laughs> yes. her through this transition. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm a little speechless. I'm very excited. I want to see this right, Thank right you. away. What else do you have? I always travel with a notebook and a pen because literally everywhere I'll try to force myself to write down some characters or ideas, tidbits of conversation I hear. I really hope to be able to make this other film mm -hmm. that is actually based on a novel written by my sister. This is called If I Had Two Lives and it was published this April in the United States. So it's a very new book partially inspired by our childhood, living with my mother in Vietnam, who was a political figure, and my sister's adulthood as an immigrant in the United States. So I finished the script. 
actually only a couple of days ago. So that's congratulations. Very, very, very fresh still. <laughs> You're listening to Profiles from WFIU. Our guest today is filmmaker Ash Mayfair. She's speaking with Janae Cummings. You are, and we talked about this very, very early, a passing mention that you're here at Indiana University as part of IU Cinema's Directed by Women Film and Conversation series. Can you talk to us about what a series like this, what this means to you and the good that it does? I'm incredibly honored to be a part of this series, honestly. I couldn't wait to come here. First of all, to communicate with the students because I love teaching, but also to find myself, as I say, in the course of history, because I'm sure we're all aware of the actual stories and challenges of minority female artists working not just in this country, but abroad and literally in the film industry, absolutely everywhere. I hope that series like this continues, that audiences and young filmmakers will embrace the idea and feel encouraged and see themselves represented, not just on the screen, but also behind the camera. My cinematographer was a woman, and during the production in Vietnam, so many of the G&E crew, actually of the entire production crew, have had upwards of 20 years of experience. And yet, it was the first time for them working with the female cinematographers. And then on top of that, the final month of production of this film, she was pregnant. So if ever there was a stronger statement for feminine power and strength, that was it right there. And so I hope that seeing this film, hearing stories about the making of The Third Wife, talking to me and just watching the unfolding of female narratives all around the world, I hope that women everywhere will feel that they would start to be able to do this too and in multiplications of numbers. When you're communicating with students, which often I assume in your travels, you don't get that opportunity very often. And we have this wonderful resource in the cinema here for our students. Have you met any yet? Have you heard any stories that maybe inspire you? I have, actually. This is why I'm constantly surprised and honored as a filmmaker to have this opportunity, because I was in Brazil for the festival premiere of the film and I was invited to speak at uh, secondary schools. I was told that I would meet with a group of like 13, 14 years old and so I assumed, all right, these are kids, so we're not going to talk about something that's so controversial or deeply upsetting. I turned up, they have watched the film and I found out that this group of 20, 25, 14 years old girls have set up their own movement to combat sexual harassment at the school. And so I was completely flawed and humbled having this opportunity to learn that these young women, young ladies, really, not kids, yeah. like I presumed, full-fledged feminists, 
that they are activists and they've created something so powerful and that's why they wanted me to come and talk to them about the film, about an experience of a girl like them halfway across the world. And so I learned so much from that meeting. I was super inspired by that meeting. I am sure there are many young women like that all over the country, here in the U.S. and in the world. Coming into your feminism, it took time for me. Whereas teenagers today, they're where I am now, perhaps, and they're 13, they're 14. And I wish, looking back, that I had that lens and I had that sensibility then. Do you feel any of that? Were you already kind of in this place and then have grown from there? No, not at all. I mean, it took a very long time for me to even understand who I am, let alone to understand what I'm doing within this course of historical events of feminism. I know feminism already existed, but to play my part in it now in a medium that's so visual and approachable and is international is an immense privilege that I know not a lot of women get to have in Vietnam, my own country, but also in the U.S. too. That awareness of the power of this medium, I think, has only struck me very recently. So I think I'm still learning how to be a good feminist (laughs) and how to use it for the right reason. Do you think you'll always be in film when we talk about medium? Is there something that you might want to expand to at some point? I know it might not be a novel, but but anything else, maybe it's television or you talked about someone wanting to adapt the third wife for opera, that kind of thing. Are you interested in that? I'm actually, yeah, absolutely. I I mentioned before, theater was my first love. Mm -hmm. She will always be my mistress. Film is my wife (laughs) and theater is my lover on occasion because she breaks hearts. I'm also writing a graphic novel. I wrote a screenplay set between two wars, so set at the end of the French colonial occupation in Vietnam and before the American war started. And the story is between, it's a love story between a French woman and a Vietnamese man who knew each other as children. As a film, it's a huge kind of historical war epic. Mm-hmm. I don't know when we'll get that made, so I'm adapting that into a graphic novel. Well, a graphic novel can, I mean, it could be a wonderful series. I believe so, yes, and I think it would be a really beautiful work of art as well. I would love to direct more theatres in the future, musical theatres, even I'm really in love with musical theatres. I don't know anything about opera, but I like <laughs> watching them. <laughs> Yeah, I think the transformative power of performance art is wondrous and constantly shifting between mediums actually allow me to learn a lot about different things. Do you think you'll ever return to acting? I know you had that, oh, lo- <laughs> that one disaster however many years ago, but does it ever you know, call out to you? I had a walk-in part in The Third Wife. I mentioned I was wearing servant's costumes. Uh-huh. And then my editor decided to cut me out because it was too obvious. <laughs> because I am a terrible actor. Well, even you, as a maybe you a new actor. Hitchcock moment. You can, <laughs> you can be that one. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I wouldn't say no, but right now directing and writing is definitely my main passion. I am interested in this graphic novel very much. Where do you say or does someone propose to you that something become a graphic novel? Is that something you just thought of? Well, I read graphic novels also pretty religiously. And when I wrote Angel of Dust, the epic war romance, I was kind of 
talking to a lot of producers and they're all like, Ash, this is a multi-million dollars kind of picture, mm-hmm. which we're not going to get because <laughs> you haven't made your first film. I kind of set it aside and revisited the story again after I finished The Third Wife and falling in love with more visual mediums. I was actually doing a lot of research looking at watercolor paintings when we were shooting Third Wife. I decided that this would be a graphic novel but kind of in the medium of watercolor paintings. And my collaborator, Z Bell, she's an artist based in New York City and we met through IFP Film Week. And we actually just became very close. She read that script as a part of the filmmaker circle that I have where we send scripts and cuts and bounce ideas with each other. And, and she's a visual artist. So her work, she's already made kind of graphic novel and books for children. And she said, look, Ash, this feels like something we should try. And we did. And we did a few panels for Tess. And it was wonderful. And so I'm really happy to try and explore that. It will be my first time, too, so I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, I look forward to it. A bit about this epic war drama. Do you think in time, is that something you really want to make? I would love to, yes. What do you think it will take? Oh, God, I have no idea. I envisioned it as like an animation mm-hmm. because I'm really in love with Studio Ghibli's you know, Hayao Miyazaki work. And there's also never been an adult animation about that period of history in the Vietnam War. If I can, I would make it that. If not, it could be a television series. If I don't know, maybe 20 years. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Ash, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fun and fascinating. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a great honor to be here. Ash Mayfair, writer, director, and creator of the critically acclaimed film, The Third Wife. Ash Mayfair was in Bloomington as part of the IU Cinema special series celebrating female filmmakers entitled Running the Screen, directed by women. She's been speaking with Janae Cummings. I'm Aaron Kane. Thanks for listening. Copies of this and other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found at our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios of Indiana University. The producer is Aaron Kane. The studio engineer and radio audio director is Michael Paskash. The executive producer is John Bailey. Please join us next week for another edition of Profiles. Profiles.